This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome to White Ladies in Crisis, a limited series podcast. We're going to be talking about the first season of Apple TV's Physical, starring Rose Byrne, and I'm Joe Lipset. I'm joined by two absolutely fantabulous critic friends of mine, so I'm going to introduce them individually. Uh, the first is Jen Adams. Hi, Jen. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm ready to get all kinds of physical up in this action. Me too. Let's talk about physical. Let's, I'm sorry. Let's talk physical. Physical. <laughs> physical. <laughs> and then, of course, we're also joined by Gina Radcliffe. Hi, Gina. Hello. Okay, so I'm interested. Obviously, this is a TV show that's set in the 80s. It's at the height of the kind of Jane Fonda aerobicize movement, but... I would like to begin a little bit with what is your experience with like shows from the 80s and this kind of subject matter, which is super broad and very unhelpful. <laughs> well, I was in love with Glow and I'm still super bummed that it is appearing to not be coming back anytime soon. So I saw this and I was like, yes, mm-hmm. this is answering my prayers. It just, yeah, this is my jam. Um, I'm actually old enough to remember uh, when this TV show takes place. <laughs> uh, it, it starts in 84, I think, but then flashes back to 81, and that's where most of the episode takes place. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was starting school around that time, so I, I do remember the rise of uh, aerobics culture. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was uh, it was interesting that Jane Fonda became like the first celebrity fitness expert, and then you have people like Richard Simmons. Right. Um, you have the very memorable movie with Jamie Lee Curtis and John Travolta called Perfect, oh, yes. oh, which if you have not seen Perfect, I I highly recommend it because it is just a perfect trapped in amber moment of eighties <laughs> fitness culture. I've seen all of the gifs, and they look outrageous yeah uh, john travolta wears a pair of the shortest shorts you've ever seen in your entire life i i don't know how many retakes they had to take where he's kind of doing this like pelvic thrusting move while he's doing like it's not any kind of aerobic exercise i've ever seen but but i don't know how many times he just didn't have like slippage just constantly Yes, I'm, I'm hoping that we'll get some kind of episode on wardrobe malfunctions in physical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right now, it seems to be primarily just the women who are involved in the aerobicize, though. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Although there were a, a couple of uh, fellows in the opening sequence that we see, like kind of in the front, but yeah. Right, yes. Yes, yeah. and that's kind of how I remember it starting. I remember my mom was really into it. I was born in 80, so I was at this point in Miss Kathy's dance studio. So this was bringing, mm. bringing me back all kinds of like sparkly spandexy memories, you know, which... I'm also thinking of the um, the Key and Peel sketch oh, uh, yes. with the, the, the aerobics competition and it's on television and the, the um, 
the leader of the group has to keep smiling and aerobicizing while being told that like his family's been like a terrible car accident. Oh my god, <laughs> I've not seen that. I, 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 again, much like John Travolta's short shorts, I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> we're gonna have to have like essential reading and essential watching for this. Yes, we're just gonna have to put up all these links when the episode goes live. Right. Indeed, yes. All of a sudden, this isn't limited series, right? We'll just continue it indefinitely with all exactly sorts of accompanying <laughs> spin. Awesome do a whole episode just on perfect yeah oh god we could create our own jazzercise videos i'm just saying <laughs> the potential it's unlimited i know <laughs> okay so folks this is how it's gonna work uh we're gonna dedicate one episode per episode yes that is the <laughs> words i'm looking for and of course, uh, the first three episodes of Physical are available as of now. So uh, we're breaking it up, though, because we think that there's enough content in each of these individual episodes to merit their own discussion. So if you have not watched Physical, minor spoiler alert, here's the premise of the overall series. It concerns Sheila Rubin, who is played by Rose Byrne, and she is a quietly tormented housewife in 80s San Diego. Behind closed doors, she battles extreme personal demons and a vicious inner voice. But things change when she discovers aerobics, sparking a journey towards empowerment and success. And this first episode is called Let's Do This Thing. And in this, we are introduced to Sheila. She discovers aerobics as a new outlet for her body anxiety. And then we also know that her husband, Danny, who is played by Rory Scovel, I guess. Scovel. I, I think it's Scovel. Okay. We'll I mean, but, he, but, he, but, but he's just, he's the absolute, he's horrible. I hate him. I, I hate too. him from the, the minute he steps on screen. I'm just like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I read that my, he's a needy little ass in my notes. <laughs> yeah, and my fingers just curl into claws. It's just like mm-hmm. yes, and so he he's introduced. He's um, not a tenured faculty member, which of course becomes a problem because he ends up getting fired over the course of the episode, and then he decides to go into politics. But I think maybe where we can start the conversation is our overall thoughts on the episode, and I. I'm so excited to have you both here because I watched this and had very distinct opinions about certain things, but I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear what Jen and Gina are going to talk about specifically around the gender politics of this show. Yeah, have some thoughts on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I watched this first episode and I just loved it. I, it really tapped into a lot of like, kind of things that I feel and often like get on my soapbox about and um, about, you know, what she's expected to be in her marriage and what she thinks she's expected to be in the world and society. And so I found that really, really compelling. And then I was really struck by the internal monologue that she has. I think that's the thing that stood out to me the most, because I feel like that's kind of her internalization of these gender politics in a lot of ways. For me, I think that the the episode made the very daring choice of populating it with very unlikable characters. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, some shows can get away with that and some shows cannot. And I I feel like that this show will be able to get away with it. But I, if a lot of people are immediately turned off to it, I, I wouldn't blame them because you, you have to be willing to go on a journey with these people who even the protagonist, um, Sheila, she's not a nice person. She's not yeah. nice to herself. Uh, she has not a kind word for anybody she encounters. 
I, I do think it's interesting that her inner monologue, which is pretty constant, and I think that's I think that's a very interesting choice. <laughs> she doesn't. She never seems to have anything to say about her child. No. Yeah, they 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 have a small child. I guess she's supposed to be maybe three or four. She's like preschool age. I don't want to say she ignores her. I mean, although she does like forget to drop her off at daycare in one scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. But yeah. she really just seems to fall under her radar of her thoughts, which I which I think is, you know, it's a little disturbing, but not you, know, but also not unrealistic because she is so hyper focused on her appearance and how she feels about her husband. And I, I assume that at some point that is going to result in, in something where she, you know, probably while you're know, rediscovering herself in aerobics, you know, probably becomes a somewhat more neglectful parent. But again, speaking of someone who, who was a child in this era, a little bit older than her child, it's pretty accurate that, that the kid would be sort of not really the focal point of the parents' lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she just sort of, you know, shuffled off when their, you know, their friends come and, and, you know, the dad comes home and she's like, hey, daddy's like, yeah, yeah, hi, hi. Just like sort of looking, mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of blowing the kid off. And, and that's, you know, that's pretty accurate for the time. But again, I, I think that, people have to be willing to kind of go for this ride because like I said, it's not a kind word for anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we should note that the pilot at least is directed by Craig Gillespie and he is the gentleman behind I, Tanya and the recent Cruella. Mm. And he has a very distinct style, but he, he likes to do these shows about women who are, trying to think of a generous term they're kind of on the cusp of a transformation right mm-hmm. right but his visual signature is like kind of whip smart very fast and i think it's very telling that so much seems to happen like there's a sense of urgency to everything that's happening in this episode particularly around the way that sheila is just constantly on the go right mm-hmm. and that gets reflected in that inner monologue It's kind of fascinating because she's really, like, she's a woman who doesn't, quote unquote, have a lot going on, right? No, Mm -hmm. she doesn't. She lives for her husband and she doesn't really do a lot for her child except for, like, move her around. And yet Mm -hmm. it feels like this is a breakneck pilot. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. She we don't really know what exactly she does all day, except, you know, at some point buy a bunch of, you know, fast food and then, you know, vomit it up afterwards. Mm-hmm. But you get this kind of impression that she she just has so much to do. She has, you know, you know, her days are so filled and not really. Yeah, it and I kind of got the sense that like when she is alone with her thoughts and when she is silent, like it just eats her up and she has to go find something to do. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And and I think like she lives for her her appearance really and that is the driver um of everything she really does. And that's the thing that I think I really liked about the internal monologue. And yeah, I I agree she's not a nice person, but I feel like I was expecting a very um kind of glitzy fun 80s pop empowerment mm-hmm. kind of housewife story. It threw me a little bit to hear her be so cruel in her head. But I think I really like that because I think that um, 
that's more reality, you know, like I, I think a lot of the expectations that women put on themselves and that society puts on them, like lead to a lot of really cruel thoughts because it's just, it's so damaging, you know, and it just, you have to turn it either inward or outward. Right. What I really loved is the, the, uh, like if you want to call it a running joke, I guess, of she tells her husband something and then like the next day he forgets mm-hmm. and he gets mad at her. Why didn't you tell me? And rather than arguing with him about it, she's like, I feel like I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is a lot of women, yeah. you know, myself included, have a bad habit of sort of quantifying their opinions or things that they believe with I think or I feel. Mm-hmm. beforehand and and it sort of minimizes it when she when she say like you know i'm i'm willing to accept it i might be wrong about this mm-hmm. e- yeah. even though she isn't yeah. she, she she has definitely told him that they were having guests for dinner uh I, I forget the other thing she told him about that he forgot about but but she softens it by well i feel like i told you that mm-hmm. it's like putting a smiley face in your email Right, ex- exactly. It's a little passive aggressive, but also to to avoid getting into an argument with him about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Cuz it gives her, her the out and him the out for not. Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Softens the blow. And I think that's why that inner monologue becomes so important because if not, if we didn't have the insight into what she was actually thinking, you're right, Jen, we would probably think that she's just a bit of a meek housewife with a bit of a domineering husband, and instead we learn that she's angry and Mm -hmm. she's complicated but like it there's such a disconnect between her thoughts and how she's actually acting and i think it it seems pretty evident that the trajectory of the series is going to be her discovering how to become the person who has more agency although you know from what we see of that opening scene before we do the flashback it doesn't seem like it turns her into a nicer person per se yeah she throws that Walkman at that lady who seems to be very yeah. nice, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that surprised me a little bit. So what are some of the things that you kind of took away from this? Like, Gina, you said that this does feel very representative of the 80s, but does this seem like a show that's made for contemporary audiences that's going to like spoon feed them what 80s nostalgia looks like because that was one of the things like when we first see her in the past Sheila's looking in the mirror and then when we kind of pull the camera back we see that she's wearing this fucking gorgeous jumpsuit with the deep v and her Mm -hmm. hair is crimped to hell and I thought oh is this stranger things for adult (laughs) women you know, that's a good question. I, I think that on a surface level, it, it's, you know, meant to make you a little nostalgic, but also, you know, to be a kind of stark reminder that, you know, we hadn't really progressed that much as far as gender politics by that point. Oh, yes. You, you've got the, the, the fun sort of superficial part of 80s pop culture with like the bright colors and the big hair and the new wave music. But you still had a lot of men expecting, you know, dinner to be on the table by six and not mm-hmm. really taking an active part in in childcare or housework. And and one of the things we, we left out was, you know, apparently Danny, uh, her husband, was an activist in the 60s. Right. And then that's why he's going to parlay losing his, his job as a college teacher into politics. 
He was at some point a very passionate, persuasive speaker. Uh, I mean, you don't really get that impression from him now. He just mm-hmm. seems to be, you know, kind of you know, full of hot air and, mm-hmm. and 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 combative. And but you know, I mean, I, I guess that's something you turn into that you know part of you has been you kind of had to put that aside to you know, get a respectable job and you know become a, a husband and father. But like, I feel like with the uh, with Stranger Things, it's it's all. Is all fluff and feel good and gosh, the eighties were a lot of fun, weren't they? And and <laughs> but on here it's like, well, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the, the music was good to a certain extent, and and you know, the, the clothes were you know wild and colorful, but but really, it was a a low period of American history. I mean, <laughs> that, that, that not not to get not to get you know, too heavy, but you know, you had the homeless crisis, you had the AIDS crisis, of course, and this is. You know, all stuff that sort of tainted that whole period, but we focus on on you know the silly stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I do think it's really important that this series jumps back to eighty one because, of course, the beginning of any new decade is still beholden to the one that came before it, but it mm-hmm. also feels like a fresh start to a lot of people. So this is very much set in the eighties, but we have a lot of throwback commentary, particularly from. I want to say Simone is the mm-hmm. college student. And she says, you know, oh, your house is very like groovy and indebted to the 60s and the 70s and even their music choices and that kind of stuff. Like you can see that Sheila and Danny haven't, they haven't really ventured into the 80s yet. Like they don't know what that new decade means aside from the fact that Reagan has just been elected. As you mentioned, Gina, it's a dark period for American politics. Yeah, it's about, yeah, Mm -hmm. things are about to start going downhill. Yeah. Yeah, but there's like this glitzy, sequiny gloss, I think, that was over a lot of the 80s. Because I didn't, I wasn't aware of a lot of what was going on because I kind of just lived in my little white suburban house and, you know, watched aerobic stuff, you know. and. Mm -hmm. And this does it does kind of feel indebted to its time in the way it is representing female empowerment because I feel like it's kind of a dated model of that. What I see right now. Now I don't know what the rest of the season is going to be, but it's like the empowerment that we see based on the the jump ahead from 1986 is this very like highly feminine mode of empowerment and it is very like one thing very revealing very like dance oriented and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but I feel like in the 80s there was just such a narrow way of being a woman and being an empowered woman you know and a lot of it is like I wonder if her empowerment is going to be like standing behind her husband or standing beside her you know where uh, standing beside him whereas I feel like now you know, maybe she's the one that would run for office and that would not have been an option then, you know? (laughs) Right. That style of feminism of the 80s was still very appearance-driven. Yes. Mm -hmm. You still still had to present yourself in a certain way that that men would find appealing and not threatening. So you had to to be very thin, you had to have a lot of makeup, you had to have perfectly styled hair. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. we're, we're seeing that in Sheila's interactions, because there's really only two female, no, I guess three female characters of note apart from her. So there's her activist friend who comes for dinner and she, mm-hmm. you know, just dresses her down for appearing fat before finding out that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. 
And then there's uh, the woman who she runs into at her daughter's preschool, who is fat. And of course, Sheila has no time or energy for her. It's a terrible running joke, but I do find it funny how she just immediately tunes her out every time they have an interaction. It's like Mm -hmm. baldly offensive and yet still mildly amusing. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the perky blonde that she sees who kind of haunts her dreams and who she ultimately stalks. Right? She's like obsessed with her. Mm-hmm. And and for all, and for, I can only assume that it's because she seems to have a, give off the appearance of having a very carefree life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that is the thing, right? I feel like this introductory episode really balances the... Sheila wants things for herself or she sees things for herself, but she doesn't know how to accomplish them because she is indebted to her husband, her child, this kind of life that she finds herself confined to. And then she sees this woman. And I I think it's very deliberate that this woman has blonde hair, whereas Sheila has the dark brown hair. Mm -hmm. And it's like the girls just want to have fun, kind of pink convertible that she thinks that should be mine. Or what Mm -hmm. is this bitch's problem? Mm-hmm. Or that used to be me, you know, and now oh. I've got these responsibilities, you know. Yeah. 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 And one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was seeing how she relates in her head to the other women, because I feel like that is really what the patriarchy, I guess we can't really get away from talking about that. Although <laughs> I never shy away from talking about it, but like that's the system of control there is to turn women against each other, you know, and I feel like she is so consumed with where she ranks in connection to all of these women. And that's why she doesn't really have any time for Greta, who's the woman at the daycares, because she's like, no, I've already surpassed her in my power. Although Mm -hmm. what what she, I think, has not been paying attention to is that she doesn't. But then she sees Bunny and she sees, okay, Bunny has this status that I need and I need to figure out how to get this status, you know. Yeah, and Greta's obviously going to become important because her husband is going to be bankrolling Danny, the husband's mm-hmm. political aspirations, right? Like, it would be smart of Sheila to invest in a friendship with Greta, and yet she can't see beyond her sort of limited scope because she's too busy. Oh boy, we haven't talked about the money. The Ooh. money Ooh. fills me with anxiety. Mm. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> I just had a whole scene where she had to like go into the bank to ask for to ask for her balance. I'm like, mm-hmm. man, those were the days. <laughs> oh, I love the part where she wrote the check and put it through the drive-through. Mm. Oh man, I forgot about those things. Just yeah, honey, just, all over herself. <laughs> just write cash on it. Yeah, I remember that. It feels like like a hundred years ago, and also like yesterday at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the little tubes sometimes too. Those were kind of fun. <laughs> So she has literally binged and purged away the family savings. And I'm curious to know how you feel about the reveal of her eating disorder and also the stylistic presentation of like her regiment, like how she goes through this and how it's presented on the show. I thought it was very interesting that at one point she almost looks like she's worshiping the food. Mm-hmm. Like, like she's like almost like kneeling in front of it. Like, like, like she's about to like kind of like, you know, bow forward to it. it it's right. just, you know, her posturing is so fascinating to me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just the entire thing is a ritual, and it's yes. very calculated, and she's got it down. And you get the sense that the people at the drive-thru and the people at the bank and the people at the hotel know her because it's something that she does over and over and over Oh, yeah, they, they, they have to. Like, certainly the, the, the bank teller is like, oh, it's her. Is this lady again? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that kind of, like, sort of pinch, sort of, you know, you know I'm going to act like I don't recognize you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing that a couple of things struck me on that sequence is that's when I think the internal monologue is really key, you know, because you hear her talking herself through this. And like, there's a moment where she closes the door to the hotel room and she just takes this big sigh of relief, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, I can be myself here. Like nobody else is watching. This is my thing that I do alone. And I know it's bad, but there's a relief there, which is why she keeps doing it. And the other thing that really got me was um, the... This is the last time. I promise. It's the last time. I'm just going to run through the bases because that's something that I've told myself over and over and over again. Like when I've got, and I've never, I'm not bulimic, but I mean, I've had, you know, some variation of disordered eating for a long time. Mm -hmm. And like, I'll eat like Rice Krispie treats. Like we have a big pan today. It's like, this is the last one. And then five minutes later, I'm like, this is the last one. So I felt that, like, that was so, it felt really honest and authentic, you know? Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I I struggle with that in my life, too. And that that whole thing of, of, you know, both you acting like it's a big secret that no one knows. And, of course, everybody knows. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not not fooling anybody. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's also worth pointing out that when this takes place, we're still a couple years away from the death of Karen Carpenter. Mm, who right. was the first well, certainly not the first celebrity to have an eating disorder I mean, most of them most right. female celebrities have struggled with it at some point it's just the way it is certainly the first one that that died from complications of it uh and then right after that you heard about the princess diana admitted to struggling with bulimia and then it, suddenly it just became hugely at the forefront of, of American culture. But right now it was still just something something you did to, you know, kind of keep your weight down. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't yeah, it wasn't gonna really hurt you or anything, you know? I mean we yeah, you know, we, we had no idea of, of how much it, it destroys your body. Yes. And and this is from an era where you were seeing advertisements for diet pills, which are basically speed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were encouraged to take these pills instead of eating, mm-hmm. which which is just remarkable to me. I it's, I get a fascination of watching old commercials on YouTube, and there's a million of them. There's like a mm-hmm. treasure trove. And I am shocked by how many commercials there were. And I shouldn't be shocked because I remember this. <laughs> but it feels so outdated. Like, yeah, how did we yeah, ever yeah. think that this was reasonable and okay? Just, you know, replacing your food with a milkshake and, you know, just taking these pills and, and if you're hungry, you know, have this, you know, glass of powder, you know, water with powder in it. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, and it's so destructive. But it was also so, you know, that's just what you had to do because being fat was a moral failing. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's yeah. still. I mean, it's. I mean, we're a little better now, uh-huh. thank God. But but <laughs> not as much as we should be. Oh no. no! Yeah, I feel like you really could plop this storyline into a 2021. Oh, one hundred percent. Just yeah. just instead of instead of aerobics culture, you just do influencer culture. One exactly. Oh no, she would have a no. job too. I think though, <laughs> like she would be expected to do all of that and work full time. I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or CrossFit maybe. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. CrossFit, yeah. 
So what did you both make of the final scene? It's a great introductory episode because we do get such a good sense of what her routine is like, what her relationships are like. And she talks a lot about how she wants to go to ballet class, but she also has difficulty motivating herself. And then the final scene finds her stumbling into Bunny's class in the mall. Oh my god, aerobics (laughs) in the mall. And there's this moment of like euphoria, but it's almost filmed like a dream sequence. Like I kept waiting for her to get called out or, or removed physically from the class, but that's not what happens. And I can't tell if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I guess she passes out or, or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we'll, we'll find out the next episode, but I, I assume she passes out because she hasn't been eating mm-hmm. or, or, I mean, it's not really clear, but she just gets so into it that she's just <laughs> collapsing, apparently. Yep. Yeah. I, I loved that sequence. Yeah, that, that was so good. I know. I actually teared up a little bit. Because <laughs> it's just so, like, something about, like, it reminded me of my old show choir days. And, like, there's something about exercising with a group of people, like, all doing the same thing. It's like dancing. Like, that is really empowering. And really, like, I feel like the vibration of the room kind of transcends everyone else's individual energy, you know? When it's, like, a positive experience. Sometimes it can go wrong. But, like, I I caught that watching this. And it was really exciting. And I found myself wanting, like, the next episode to be, like, okay, we're in the class now. Everything's happy. You know, like, I just wanted to, maybe I just (laughs) wanted to do some aerobics, you know? Fair, fair point. I did really like it. (laughs) Um, Do we have other things we want to talk about, or should we go into theories and speculations about the next step? Well, one thing I did want to kind of mention is just kind of an encapsulation of how how much she really hates herself. I mean, I feel like there's evidence throughout, but mentioning the ballet studio made me think of it because she... She can't go to class because it closed. Like, the class does not exist anymore. But several times she says, you skipped ballet today. You're fat. You're gross. You can't. Like, she blames herself for skipping ballet when that's not what happened. And I think that was just an interesting look at how she really internalizes everything as because she has has a moral failing, you know. Mm. It's all her fault. Right, right. You know, and I understand how this works with having, you know, anxiety, anxiety disorder, depression, that mm-hmm. I think she sort of almost feels responsible for the, the, the class closing because she didn't show up for it. Right. Yeah. When there's no way she could have controlled that at all. Right. And instead, I mean, this is a whole other thing we didn't get into. There's this real estate developer right, yeah. that is closing everything down because he wants to open more shopping malls. And, and th- this is why she is encouraging her husband to to run is it city council he's running for? I think, I think so. so. Yeah, some vague vague political. Yeah, like post. assembly assemblyman or city council or mm-hmm. something. He's stepping onto the ladder. Right, yeah. right, right. She wants him to run specifically to to push back against this real estate developer mm-hmm. who who has to be who has to have some level of importance in the in the upcoming episode. I don't know what yet, but. You know, he's, he's got a figure, you know, you know in, the, in the episodes ahead. Yeah. He's going to start yeah. the next blockbuster, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did think it was fascinating that we caught the briefest of glimpses of him. So that, that mm-hmm. character's name is John Bream. And he is actually opening, I think it's a video store in the mall as she rushes through to follow Bunny to the store. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really telling and also foretelling of doom that she goes yeah. oh he's really hot i'm like yeah she is going to 
make sex with that guy for sure. Mm-hmm. Particularly since like only a couple minutes earlier, she was thinking to herself how disgusting she finds her husband's body now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that moment where, where we get the flash of them having <laughs> sex and him dripping sweat on her. I just thought, In her eye. Oh. <laughs> like, but oh. the show is filled with those kinds of cringy, but really authentic and really relatable comedic moments, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think it's, so fascinating that you said she's unlikable, Gina, because I can't disagree, and yet I find her so compelling. Oh, sure, mm-hmm. sure, sure. You know, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm on board with it. I'm just saying that I, if people watch it, they're like, yeah, I'm not interested in seeing... Right, she's a fucking terrible person. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. some people just don't enjoy that, and I, and I get that, but I, I am interested enough to see how this plays out. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, do the two of you think that this is the story of an anti-hero? Hmm. I mean, I would be down for a female anti-hero. I mean, I, I feel like she and Bunny are going to develop some sort of relationship. Not necessarily romantic, but she's going to join the class. She's going to mm-hmm. get close to Bunny. Bunny's going to be kind of a mentor for her. And then they're going to eventually become competitors. Absolutely. She's going to stab Bunny in the back so that she can get to some kind of syndicated local television thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, what, that's where I think that uh, John Breen is going to come into play. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, she's going to fuck her way to the top, isn't she? I mean, yeah, as much as I really do want it to be like, yay, we went to Jazzercise and we got matching outfits and everything's great now. <laughs> like, I just feel like that's not reality. And if this was set now and we didn't know what the next 40 years of history for women was going to be, then I feel like I could maybe buy that a little more. But like, I kind of, you know, it's going to be ugly for a while for women. And I kind of would find it refreshing to see that happening, you know? Mm. Okay, so thinking ahead to the immediate future, what do you think will happen in the next episode? I think they're all going to get matching outfits and they're going to dance to um, some fun <laughs> 80s music for the for episode. <laughs> no, I, I really want them to like get into the class soon. I, I don't know how... You know what? I'm going to stop pretending. I've seen the second episode, so I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> You're telling on yourself. I know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, Gina, what do you think? I'm curious as to how the issue with her emptying out their savings account is uh, going to play out. Um, yes. Because he, because um, Danny has revealed that he's going to use that money to pay for his, to start his political campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, she has drained it so there's about, I think it's $57 left in it. And then she takes out the last 50 I right, know, she's got right. seven. <laughs> And he, I think he said he needed a thousand dollars to to start his campaign. So I'm curious as to whether he is going to find out about that, or if she's going to f- figure out a way to to get the money. Okay. Part of me thinks that he does. He is going to find out and threaten to leave her, but then decide they need to stay together because it'll look better for his campaign. But I don't, mm-hmm. I, I, I just, that's a total shot in the dark. I don't know. Part of me also thinks that she's just going to try to figure out a way to, to put the money back in the account. Right. Okay. So obviously Jen has told us that we're going to get to see more of the class. And <laughs> I think to build on what you said, Gina, I think that her political friends from back in the day who are about to go on the Phil Donahue show. <laughs> I think that Is she's going to end up hitting them up for money so that she can cover that balance so she doesn't have to tell Danny about the missing funds. 
or possibly um, the lady at the daycare center. That yeah, Maybe. she might. She, mm. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think that she's going to try to figure out a way to to cover herself, cover herself up. It's all my energy into not telling you what happens. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to. I'm not going. To. It's interesting because I, I mean, we don't know at this point whether this is a continuing story. So I'm sort of treating this as a, a first season potentially. But I'm definitely also getting early Breaking Bad kind of desperation vibes, even Mm -hmm. after only one episode. So I'm very intrigued to see how dark and how far this show is willing to go. I would like it to get very dark. Right. Enjoy that. Lady Dark. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We should have called it that. Yeah. Oh, gosh, darn it. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, I think that'll wrap up episode one so uh gina where can people find you if they want to spin theories with you i um the co-host of the kill by kill podcast in which we talk about horror movies uh, mostly focusing on the characters and the odd little background details i also write about movies and television at the spool.net i will be reviewing physical at some point so i too will probably jump end up having to jump ahead to watch a few more episodes um and i am also on Twitter under Porcelain72. Nice. And Jen? Uh, you can find me at Jen Ferratu on all of the socials. And you can also find me co-hosting the Psychoanalysis Podcast, which is about horror and mental health. And also on the Losers Club, which is a Stephen King podcast. And you can find me writing about villainous women on the Strong Female Antagonist blog also. And you know what? Depending on how the show goes, I might have a post about Sheila. Nice. Yes, let's hope so. And folks, if you want to follow me, you can do so at Beast on My Remote, or you can listen to my show Horror Queers with Trace Thurman, which comes out every Wednesday. But I think for now, uh, we will bid adieu to the aerobics room. I'll just give a quick shout out to the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network for hosting this podcast. Make sure you give the other podcasts a listen, give a rate and review and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, keep an eye and an ear out for more aerobics chat, more Sheila chat, all that good stuff with White Ladies in Crisis coming at you soon. Squad.